Okay, in the time that we have remaining, we're going to see if we can get through a parable, the parable of the talents. And I know most of you came primarily to see if we could perform a miracle through 17 verses. I've mentioned that when you study parables, you need to look at the whole parable, so we're going to try and do that this morning. In the Olivet Discourse, obviously, and we've said there's four parts to it. At least that's the way I've outlined it. We have a setting, uh, verses that precede it, and then we have the tribulation, which is the focus of the Olivet Discourse. That's what Jesus is communicating to the disciples. And then a short description of the second coming. So the tribulation leads up to, and we spend a lot of time looking at why that period of time exists or will exist in the future, and it exists primarily for the nation of Israel. Therefore, I've said several times, it makes more sense that the rapture is pre-tribulational, because the tribulation does not pertain to the church, and the church is not there, although there's a theological position that holds to that. And we're in the section dealing with applications from verse 32 of chapter 24 to the end of chapter 25. We looked at applications in relationship to the second coming. That's the end of chapter 24. Last week we started in chapter 25. Well, actually we started earlier, but we looked at the first parable, parable of ten virgins. These are applications relating to the millennial kingdom. Millennial Kingdom. And I gave you an introduction to the Millennial Kingdom so that you know what Jesus is is talking about. He doesn't describe it. He just compares these parables to the Millennial Kingdom. The disciples knew what he was talking about. That's why I had to give you a background on what they would have understood when Jesus is talking about the Kingdom. He's talking about the Kingdom that the Messiah will establish when he comes. And from the New Testament perspective, when he returns, there's a kingdom that is prophesied in great detail, primarily in the Old Testament. Even the book of Revelation assumes that you know the Old Testament. So it's the last book of the Bible. John says, oh, they should have read the first 66 books. And he assumes that you understand the imagery, the background, and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So even John in uh, Revelation 20 doesn't give a description of the Millennial Kingdom. He just talks about it. And the only added detail that he gives is that it's millennial. In other words, it's a thousand years. So we have the parable of the ten virgins, which is an application It's a parable, so it's an illustration of conditions at the establishment of the kingdom. And it identifies the Jewish people. Five of them are prepared for the coming of Messiah. They enter this banquet. It's a picture, it's an image of the millennial kingdom. Five are not prepared. Now, it doesn't mean that 50% of Israel believes and 50% reject. It's a parable. Don't make it walk on all fours. We're going to look today at the parable of the talents. I believe it is also related to the nation of Israel, verses 14 through 30. And we'll see that in a moment. So there's 17 verses there. Let's see if we can do it. Anybody know what this building is? Can you read it? 
Yep. It says new sign there, New York, what? Stock exchange. So it deals with investments. Investments. That's the main theme of this parable. Now, financially, if you had invested $1,000 in Microsoft in 1980, you probably wouldn't be here today, right? <laughs> you would be a multi-millionaire today, and you wouldn't be wasting your time with this class. You'd be sailing a yacht or something. Who knows what you'd be doing. So what if you had invested $1,000 in Microsoft in 1980? You'd have all the money that you had ever dreamed of and probably be miserable, right? <laughs> but anyway, just to illustrate, this passage deals with investments. And it's a parable, and what it deals with is spiritual, primarily spiritual investments. Jesus takes an everyday situation, people invested... In the first century. In fact, uh, that's part of what we have in the, the parable. And people received a return on their investments. So this is a business, if you will, business parable. Speaks of money. And by the way, the Bible speaks about money just about more than almost any other topic. Because it's so vital and so part of our everyday experience. Here's a parable that primarily deals with financial issues. So in the parable, we looked at the parable of ten virgins dealing with Israel. I see that parable introducing us to those that enter the millennial kingdom and those that are excluded. The parable of the talents goes along with it and it takes it one step beyond in terms of theology, in terms of teaching, in that it also deals with Israel, but it deals with another aspect of Israel. In fact, there are parallels here, and this will be very easy to apply. We won't have to stretch any application here. It's almost a direct application, even though the primary application pertains to the nation of Israel. Make sense? We'll see that as we get into the passage itself. So there's some relationships here between the ten virgins and the talents, but they're radically different in that we have ten virgins that are waiting for the coming of Messiah. That's the whole issue there. Waiting, some are prepared when he comes, some are not prepared. In the parable of the talents, we have them working. In other words, the emphasis is what they are doing while they are waiting. So they are working rather than waiting. And if the issue with the ten virgins is internal, and you might say even internal regeneration, the presence of oil, they, they have oil, which is an image in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. All right? Well, the talents, what might you expect if this one is internal? external. In other words, you can see the activity that's going on. And that's the focus, is something that they are doing, what they are working on. So it's external. And if the ten virgins deals with regeneration, I've already talked about it, the talents will deal with what? You can fill in the blank there. Reward. Well, reward, but deals with living it out. In other words, it deals with what we would call service. In other words, living your life out. 
Biblically, everyone is in ministry that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a divide. We men have made this divide, the clergy and the laity, the leadership and the people. That's not a biblical concept. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God has given you a ministry. And most don't get paid for that ministry. And if you get paid, that doesn't make you a minister. And if you don't get paid, the the one that contributes to the minister. All right? All of us are in service. That's the essence of what we have here. So that's the essence of the talents. The ten virgins, the possibility of neglecting all of the prophecies dealing with regeneration dealing with regathering of the nation of Israel, dealing with committing to the Messiah. The talents is against laziness as you live out that biblical life of a believer. So it's against laziness. And ten virgins deals with entering the kingdom, whereas the talents deals, as Jeremy says, the rewards associated with the kingdom. In other words, how you live now is going to determine your place and position in the millennial kingdom. That's the essence of the parable. So we can divide it into four parts, verses 14 and 15. We have the allotment of the talents, beginning of verse 14. For it, the four ties it back to the last passage. So it's closely related to the parable of the ten virgins. In other words, it's just kind of an outgrowth. In other words, if you have a, if you have preparation, if you have regeneration, this should follow for four. In other words, this also is part of it. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. What is the it? The kingdom. That's the context. So that goes back to the beginning of of verse 1, the parable of the ten virgins. It, referring to the kingdom. So it just expands, it gives us another parable concerning this issue of the kingdom. And it's going to take it one step further. The first one, preparedness in order to enter. This one, what do you do after regeneration while you're waiting for the coming of Messiah? You don't go off on a mountaintop and abandon everything and wait up there. You are actively involved here, is the whole point here, until he comes. And that's the essence of it. Honey. By telling the two parables, is he saying, so, so what you just said seems to indicate it's wrong to just wait, that you should be active. He's telling both parables as though there's a portion of people waiting and a portion of people working. It was just the Jews waiting and the other people working. No, uh, he's going to deal with the other people in the next passage, beginning in verse 31. He's the, yeah, he, this is Israel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The analogy is we are converted to Jesus Christ through a conversion experience by trusting in him and him alone. But that doesn't stop. In other words, once we are converted, well, we grow and we learn more and we study the Word, but a natural response to regeneration is now we have a desire to serve the Lord. So he's just kind of looking at a total package of what it means to be a believer. 
The context is to be a believer in the millennial kingdom. He's talking to disciples. So what it means to be a Jewish disciple that has either trusted in Messiah or neglected that, the outcome of that is service. So that's what it is. And he's going to compare it to a man, just like a man, about to go on a journey. Now, we've, we've seen a similar parable in Mark's account. Remember, we looked at Mark in uh, uh, Mark 13, and it was probably in the context of uh, chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse. So it's similar. An owner goes on a journey. Remember, I gave, painted the picture of like a plantation in the first century. There were large households where there were probably multiple children that had different responsibilities in the family. There were also others that were not blood relatives that were part of the operation. And those others, they were called slaves. And it didn't necessarily have a negative connotation. You might think of them as like employees. They were supported by the master. They were provided for, they were protected, they had certain privileges in that household. And sometimes the owner would have to go on a journey and maybe to purchase supplies or to acquire more property or whatever the case may be, he would go on a journey and then we have what follows, this individual goes on a journey, who called his own slaves, doulas is the word there, the Greek word, and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, this is common. This would happen very frequently in the first century. Nothing unusual here. It's just a story. This is typical what it would be like. A man on a journey would gather his servants. Depending on what their duties were, he would give them responsibilities and basically go off on a journey, leaving his estate in the hands of those that lived on the property, and those that served. So he called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So the owner entrusts the slaves with possessions while he is gone. Now this was very similar to that other parable that we looked at in Mark's Gospel. In fact, some see it parallel. They're both in the Olivet Discourse, but they seem to be distinct. And we drew, drew some different applications from it. So in verse 15, to one he gave five talents. A talent and particularly silver. In fact, somebody read verse 18. I think silver is in view. Your translations may not pick it up, but in the Greek text, I want you to notice something. Somebody read verse 18. Who's got it? But the one who had received one talent went out and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money behind. Okay, hid his master's, what does it say? Money. In the Greek text, you could translate it and hid his master's silver. It's the same word. Now, it's translated properly to give you the idea, because money, oftentimes in the first century, came in the form of silver. In fact, more commonly. Gold also, but more commonly silver. So you could use the word silver to refer to money. And sometimes it was in the form of coins. Sometimes it was in the form of just bars or whatever you would have, and it would be weighed. So what we have is a talent of silver... And uh, this week I checked what silver is selling for, and it's right around $20 an ounce, 20.1 or $21.10. If you calculate it out, a talent 
By the way, a talent is just a measure of weight, like pounds or kilograms or whatever. It's just a measure of weight. If it's in silver, in this case, then you just multiply it out. It's a simple math issue here. A talent is equal to about 60 pounds of whatever. If you have a talent of grain, that would be about 60 pounds of grain. That's quite a bit of grain. If you have a talent of silver, you have 60 pounds of silver. Multiply that times how many ounce? How many an ounce? 16. Our uh, microbiologist knows better than some of the others. 16 ounces. He's also a cook, so you multiply it out. 16 times 60 times 20.1, and you get up close to $19,300. So a talent was a large quantity of money, even in silver. Now in gold, it would be $1.32 million based on today's price, I think, 1300 and something, I can't remember, 1335 or 42 or something. So, but probably in this context, it's silver. So, we're dealing with, he gave five talents to another, two to another, and one according to his own ability. In other words, in the story, there were some servants that had greater ability to be able to do certain things. Maybe they had better training or more experience or older, whatever the case may be. He didn't overload them, in other words, with more responsibility than what they were able to, to deal with. So he looks at them, evaluates their abilities, as it says here, and he gives them responsibility corresponding to those abilities. Make sense? That's the essence of the parable. And he went on his journey. So now he can go. He's left the entire estate in the hands of the slaves. Now, some of them would have supervisory positions, and some of them uh, would have uh, menial labor positions, depending on their position in that economic situation. So here's verse 15. The correspondence here, the master, in other words, what do they, these represent in the parable? The master is the Messiah. Pictures the Messiah gone on a journey. So it has all of the imagery of Jesus ascending, going to the Father, preparing a place for us. John 14. And in John 14, he will return. Remember the passage? So we have this picture of the Messiah on a journey. And secondly, the slaves are, Jew in this context, Jewish disciples. Jewish disciples. And the talents represent the resources, including human resources, that the traveler or the uh, uh, the Messiah is going to leave behind. See the correspondence here in this parable? Now these resources, they can include a variety of things. In fact, let's begin applying it. In other words, let's take the essence of the parable and bring it home, and how can we respond to it? Even though this parable deals with the future, deals with the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation, remember we can draw an application from every passage. So the natural application would be that uh, the first thing that we have is each of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been given responsibility. 
by virtue of just make our commitment to him. And it can come in the form of time. All of us have time. Some have more time that you can invest. Others have less time that you can invest. If you're a mother raising five kids, you don't have as much time. Your primary allotment of ministry is to those five kids. So you don't have a lot of time to do outside of the household. Make sense? But all of us have a certain amount. And all of us, that's a gift. It's part of what the Lord has provided. Uh, He could take us to be with him immediately, but he's left us here for a purpose. So he's given us time to be able to accomplish the things that he desires. In some cases, it might be money. Now, sometimes in the church, we think, well, we have... You know, we give so that others can minister. Well, that's just, the giving is just part of the overall ministry. Some have more, some have less. If you have more, you're responsible to manage that more. And if you have less, then you're responsible for that. So, whatever the Lord has given, all of us have certain amounts of money. Everyone that knows Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift. All of us are gifted in order to perform the tasks that he's called us to do. Some are teachers, some are leaders, some are even prophets, some are servants. In other words, in giftedness, all of us are servants, but some have that giftedness. Each one of us have different gifts. And according to the giftedness, God's going to give each of us different ministries. So it's going to vary, it's going to be very different. And each of us has opportunities. So this is the analogy here. The opportunities that the Lord opens up for you to be able to serve him. He will open them up. And we can say yes or we can say no. But we all have opportunities in order to minister to other people. Maybe your neighbors. It may be work associates. It may be people that you just run into on the street. So responsibilities are given. That's how we can apply it. The next part of the parable, 16 through 18, not only are the talents allotted in the illustration, but now the expectation is that they would acquire a return. So we have acquisition of the investments, 16 through 18. And again, it's very typical of a first century situation. And not so different from our culture in that if you have resources that you can invest, you can invest them in different things. You invest in order to get a return. So also the master is investing in order to receive a return. Immediately the one who, notice immediately, obedience I think is in view there. Immediately the one who had received the five talents, the one that was given greater responsibility, went and traded with them and gained five more. This is typical. He doubled the investment. Not unusual in the first century. And sometimes on Wall Street, it's not unusual today. And in verse 17, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents, he doubled the investment. Make sense? Simple illustration here. So they receive a return on the investment. Now it's for the whole household and ultimately for the master. But this is what was expected, that they utilize those resources that were left in their care. Both, Jim. I was just wondering, is there any cross-references in this to Leviticus 25 where it talks about the, like, your jubilee and how God would reward them for taking care of their property and land and all that stuff? 
Yeah, it would go along with some of the Jewish... Yeah, yeah, the, certainly in the Old Testament. Very much so. Alright, so verse 18, but there's a third one. He who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's silver or money, as it's translated. What does he do? He does what is typical in the church. He hoards it or he hides it. He doesn't utilize it. He doesn't invest it like the others. He doesn't follow the right example. In other words, you have a gift, but you've neglected it. You're not utilizing that spiritual gift. You have a certain amount of time that God has given you, and if you're walking with him, he's going to guide you in terms of how he may want you to use a portion of that time. A certain amount of resources, money or whatever, he'll give you a certain amount in order to invest in a material way in spiritual things. He'll give you opportunities, and you can say no. That's what this third uh, example does. So he receives the one talent, went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Simple illustration, so we don't need to spend a lot of time. So the application here is we're given responsibility. We're expected to respond by investing that time, that money, that those resources, those opportunities, that spiritual gift. Make sense? Very direct application here. The third part of the parable, how are we doing? <laughs> Do you see a, a miracle in the making here? Okay, 19 through 28, this is the biggest portion here. We have the allotment of the talents, 14 and 15, the acquisition of investments. I'm using what as an alliterative A to help you remember and help you to put it together. We have acquisition of uh, investments, 16 through 18. Now we have the accounting of the servants. There would be accounting and accountability. Are we accountable? Very much. So we'll be able to have a direct application to us as well. So we have the accounting. An illustration of the accounting is pretty simple. In fact, the first two, is they're, they're identical, so we don't have to spend a lot of time with some of them. So those, those are verses we'll get through very quickly. So we have the accounting of the stewards. That's what we are. We are stewards. And by the way, the word doulos, I could give you lots of verses that describe the Christian as a doulos, or in other words, slave. That's what we are identified as. In that culture, that had lots of connotations, not necessarily negative. Paul very often calls himself, and sometimes it's translated, a bond servant. In other words, he's owned by another. And that's his description. In fact, one of the favorites of the ways that Paul describes him. But there's passages that describe you and I in the same, using the same term. So 19 through 28, beginning verse 19. Now, after a long time, what do we say about the parable of the virgins? The parable of the virgins implied what? That the time between the first and second coming, there may be a long time. We have kind of the same implication here. Now, the disciples probably didn't expect 2,000 years, but the passage, this one in particular, and I said there's several others, here's one of the others, the passage allows for the passage of a lot of time between the departure of the Master and the return of the Master, or between the first coming and ascension and the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. In other words, they were given the responsibility, they were to invest what uh, he had given them, and now the time when he returns is a time of an accounting. The analogy here is when Jesus returns, it's a time of an accounting. That's the point. Verse 20, the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more. Now, we already had that before. We already know. But now he's presenting it. But now he's going to give an account. And he says, what, I guess i got to read this saying, Master, this is part of the story. You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more. In other words, I did exactly what you desired me to do, what you expected me to do. This is what the accounting involves, whether or not he obediently, and remember it said immediately, he went about investing in the illustration. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. That is what we want the Lord Jesus Christ to say of us. We will give an accounting It's not going to be this accounting, but the believer will stand before the what? The bema, that's the Greek word, the bema. And the bema is a place where we will give an account of how we lived our lives. Has nothing to do with salvation. Has nothing to do with eternal destiny. It has everything to do with how we have invested in this life. This is a different situation, it deals with the Israelites, and they will have to stand before the Lord as well and give an account. And if they have been faithful during the tribulation period, the Lord or the Master will say, well done, good and faithful slave. That's the goal. It's not the quantity of ministry. Billy Graham is not going to have a greater reward than you necessarily. He may have been unfaithful. He may have Overlook some opportunities the Lord gave him. And those of you that are prayer warriors, maybe you've taken advantage proportionally more opportunities to do your ministry than people that are more visible like uh, Billy Graham. Well done. This is the goal. So it's faithfulness. It's not quantity. It's quality, in other words. It's how, how you are a measure of faithfulness. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And there is a direct correspondence here between the responsibilities that those Jewish faithful believers perform under very difficult circumstances. Remember how difficult that period of time will be, uh, the tribulation. Under those circumstances, those that were faithful risked their very lives. Some of them martyred. Some of them not even surviving. They will be put in charge of many things in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. That's the analogy he's painting here. So he says, enter into the joy of your master. Now that's the joy of the banquet of the prior parable. And during that kingdom era, there's going to be tremendous joy and particularly a joy just for the very fact that you have been faithful and you are addressed as well done, good, and faithful slave. Does that make sense? You're tracking in the parable? Okay. Verse 22, also the one who had received the two talents, and it's identical, so we don't have to spend much time there. 
He came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. Verse 23, his master said, what does he say? Same thing. So it's not the quantity. One invested five, got five back. Second one invested two, got two back. It's not the quantity. It's the faithfulness that's in you. Well done, good and faithful slave. Identical. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See that? So it's not the giftedness. In other words, you may say, well, I don't have the, that gift that that person does or that expanded uh, large ministry. So I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm going to hide, hide my talent. The correspondence, obviously, masters of Messiah, the slaves of the Jewish disciples, talents are the resources that he's given us. Faithful, the faithful slaves are Jewish believers that are faithful during the tribulation period. We can apply the same thing. We will have reward for service. And we've read these before, so we won't read them, but if you want to jot them down, the corresponding verses for the believer during the church age... 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15, that's a passage. doesn't use the word bema there, but basically the evaluation. You'll receive reward on the basis of your faithfulness, but there's also the potential of loss in the same context. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 is Paul relaying his experience at the end of his life. He says, I fought the good fight, finished the race, and now he's, expect, in fact, he's on trial and he's going to shortly die. And he knows it. He knows that he's going to be killed. He's going to be martyred. And verse 8, probably 7 and 8 as well, gives his anticipation of receiving a crown. A crown, I can't remember which crown. Righteousness. But crown of righteousness. All right, you got it looked up. So he's expecting a crown. In other words, a reward. Now, he doesn't give the context of that, but from the other passages, it's during the millennial kingdom. You, in your resurrected body, you and I will have added responsibilities during the millennial kingdom based on our faithfulness here and now. That's the analogy. Uh, that's the application. So it'll take place during the reign of saints. Remember, there's two kinds. There's saints in resurrected bodies... And there are saints in what kind of bodies? Mortal bodies. Now, we're dealing with a group of people that survive that tribulation period. Jewish people that survive it, they will enter in. They will have responsibilities as well. Their responsibilities in the kingdom will correspond to their abilities in terms of mortal bodies. We will have responsibilities corresponding to our resurrected bodies but we'll have responsibility and privilege during the millennial kingdom. So it's during that thousand years where we see that worked out. So verses 24 and 25, the, the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now, first of all, what does he have in terms of his view of the Master? Totally distorted view. In other words, he doesn't know the master very well. In fact, he mischaracterizes him and, in fact, impugns the master. 
So that, there's some applications you can draw there. You know, you get to know what God is like by reading his word. This is a negligent, even disciple you might even call him. Negligent slave. And then verse 25, And I was afraid. And his fear was unfounded, by the way. And went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, I have what is yours. In other words, here it is back. So he's going to give an account as well, but here we have the alternative to faithfulness. Here is one who is unfaithful. And then verse 26, But his master answered and said to him, You wicked... This is why I use the word uh, laziness in that comparison. You wicked and lazy slave. In other words, you are inwardly motivated by laziness, not faithfulness, not a desire to serve your priorities. Everything are out of whack. That is a typical description of most believers today in the church age. That's the description of this slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow. In other words, it's almost like a question. In other words, is this your attitude towards me? Is this the way you view me? And I gather where I scattered no seed. In other words, is that your opinion of me? If that's the case, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. If I really am this overbearing master, then you should have protected yourself and done the very safe thing. Put the money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with a little bit of interest. If that is the view that you have of me, this is what you should have done. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Simple illustration, typical of the first century, but not so different from even today. And we have a parallel passage in Luke, Luke 10 through 12. He, this is a principle that is applicable in that tribulation period. It's applicable in the Old Testament. It's applicable in the church age. It's applicable to you and I. He who is faithful in a very little, and most of us are given very little, basically, will also be faithful in much. And as we grow, God will expand your ministry. God will expand the areas that he gives you responsibility for. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. In other words, you're putting off your ministry until you retire. Well, you're not faithful. You're not going to be given that much of a responsibility when you retire. Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, in other words, if you have not been faithful in the time, in the money, in the the things of this world that God has given you, and neglected spiritual gifts as well, who will entrust the true riches to you? And what are the true riches? Is those things that will last into eternity. Verse 12, and if you have been not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, that that God has made available to you. So it, it kind of is a negative, but the corresponding positive also is true as well. If you're faithful in much, God's going to give you more. So the unfaithful, Jewish unbelievers, possibly, they could be believers, just like in the church age there are believers that are truly regenerate but are faithful. So it could be either one. And some commentators take either one of the views. But this is the correspondence in the parable. So, the fourth thing is there's also retribution for failure. That's also that 1 Corinthians passage in terms of applying it to us. The 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15, 
the possibility of suffering loss. And that's during the Millennial Kingdom. At least, that seems to be how I put it together. And the failure there is being unfaithful. Unfaithful. Yeah, not, has nothing to do with salvation. Service is in view here. And this, verses 29... Or, you might also put, possibly, they could be regenerate, but are unfaithful. But more than likely unbelievers because of the description at the end here. And the fourth part, last two verses, 29 and 30, application of the parable. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. There's that Luke passage from the positive. Everyone who has, more shall be given. In other words, you've invested and you've acquired the benefits of the investment. Now you're going to be given more. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Suffer loss. And in verse 30, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. That's a picture of eternal hell. So it's probably the better interpretation there. There are unbelieving Jewish people in the tribulation. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's a pretty common description of an unbeliever in the New Testament and Old Testament. So the essence of the parable, living Israelite. this is the essence of the whole thing, putting it all together, living Israelites will be rewarded in the kingdom or judged based on faithfulness during the tribulation. Make sense? See how all the parts put together come to that conclusion? At least, it's a consistent interpretation, and I think it's favored because of the context. So, here's the question, last question. What are you doing on earth, for heaven's sake? (laughs) We should be watching. That's from some of the prior parables. We should be witnessing, in other words, investing in the lives of unbelievers. If you want another W, we should be working based on this parable. And it also says you need to have a good relationship. You need to know your master. You need to know your master. Very good. Why don't you close for us, Jeremy? Lord, we just praise you. We just thank you for uh, just for being you, Lord. We just thank you for this new week. Uh, listening to speak through Ray, Lord, I just pray you be with each one of us this week as we look to see uh, from you, Lord, where, where, where you want us to work, what you have us to do, and that we pray for all of that on our own, Lord, but that you would make that clear. And we know, Lord, you're faithful to provide the resources to do that. So we just thank you that we can have a relationship with you, Lord. And I just pray you be with each one of us this week as we go out, where we work, where we shop, wherever we are, Lord, that, that, uh, that your light would shine through us. So I just pray your name. Amen.